Hi, everybody. Welcome to this Board Game Life episode number 35 titled, I Got Carded at Gen Con 2014. This show was recorded on Wednesday, September 10th, 2014. On this show, I'm going to be covering my Gen Con 2014 experiences and my thoughts about the show in general. Then I've got a very special guest on the show. Uh, Philip DuBerry comes on and he talks about his game Skyway Robbery, which is uh, currently on Kickstarter. Then uh, you'll get uh, contest details. I'm holding a contest where the giveaway is going to be Doomtown Reloaded, one of the hottest games from Gen Con uh, 2014. And uh, that's by uh, Alderac Entertainment. And then uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of games uh, from Gen Con, including Red, uh, Chimera, and Diamonds. These are three awesome card games uh, from Gen Con 2014 that I'm still excited about a month later. So here we go. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Rob, your host for this board game life, and I'm glad to have you back. Uh, thanks for joining me. And before I get going with the show, I just want to mention real quick that uh, I've got a YouTube channel up on YouTube, youtube.com slash this board game life. Got a bunch of uh, content that's going up there pretty soon. And then also make sure to follow this board game life on Twitter. That's at T board game life. That's at T board game life. All right. So let's get on with the show. So Gen Con 2014 for me was a little bit of a shortened show because I couldn't spend the entire four days out there or even more since some people go for, you know, five, six days or even longer. Uh, so for me, it started off on Thursday, which is the first day of the show. I actually left Chicago at 4 a.m., which uh, was kind of a crazy thing for me to do. And what was even crazier is I recorded episode 34 just prior to that and I released it. So I actually went over there on probably about half an hour's worth of sleep. Now, Indianapolis isn't too far from Chicago. It's only about a three-hour drive, and uh, there is a time zone change, so you lose an hour. So basically, uh, you're looking at if you leave at 4 a.m., you're going to get there at about 8 a.m. Indianapolis time. And uh, that's basically just what happened. So I got there uh, just around 8 o'clock. Uh, and I was able to find parking over at the mall. Thankfully, I was really concerned about where am I going to park? What am I going to do? Uh, and boy, am I tired. But uh, hopefully that uh, second, first, third, fourth, whatever wind is going to catch me. And it did. Uh, once I got inside, it was a ton of people just milling around, uh, just getting ready for the show. A lot of people really excited, really, really excited. The VIP line was crazy. This is a line of people that get in early. They get around nine o'clock, I believe, and they pay a ton of money to get in early. And it was huge. I couldn't imagine. I, I could. I was shocked at how many people were waiting in a sign. I, I figured that there wouldn't be too many people that get in early, but there are. There's 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 a lot. But uh, outside of that, the entry area where you get into the show was or into the con was just jammed with people just prior to it opening it was literally like standing room only well it's a hallway so you're gonna have standing room only but it was literally just wall-to-wall people you couldn't really even move uh one thing that they did 
which I guess was kind of nice is, you know, they basically said they announced over some uh, PA system that everybody should just walk in slowly, no pushing, and uh, basically to be nice to people, which is cool. And uh, once the doors did open, it was actually a civil uh, entry. There was not a stampede. People didn't get crushed. At least I didn't see any people. But uh, once we got into the show, uh, hey, it was Gen Con 2014. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, Once inside, boy, some of the hottest titles, those companies that were selling them, they had huge, huge lines. We're talking about FFG, Paizo, Plaid Hat, Greater Than Games, and also Privateer Press. So, you know, those are the, I guess, to be expected uh, companies to have lines, but they were just massive uh, during various por- parts of, uh, I believe it was Thursday, even maybe Friday. Uh, I believe one of, uh, I don't remember if it was either Privateer or Paizo, their line went out into the hallway. That's how long it was. And the FFG line just snaked around. It curved around. At one point, I paced the entire line because I I just couldn't believe how long it was. And I uh, kind of guessed it to be around 300 feet long. Now, that's a long line to wait uh, to get uh, into that little booth area because they they really control the flow. They did a great job, by the way, of controlling the aisles. They had people standing, uh, basically blocking off. Uh, the line from blocking the line, the aisles, but uh, they, they did a great job with that. Kudos to them. So for the first day I, I spent, uh, I think I walked the hall probably twice, once or twice. And I, I was just really looking to pick up everything that I wanted to get uh, on Thursday, just try to get it as soon as possible. But when I saw some of those lines, there's, I looked at them and I said, there's no way, no way I'm waiting an hour or more for some of these games. I, I don't care how good it is. I, I'm not waiting. So I just uh, held off. And thankfully, uh, some of those lines got really small. Like, for example, one of the first places I went to was Plat Hat Games. And their line went to literally, well, actually, it went from probably hundred people or more at 10 o'clock, uh, just after noon, it was down to like one, one or two people. So a lot of people had gotten their, uh, dead of winter fix and they had moved on. And luckily I managed to snag my copy then and there, uh, got to see a whole bunch of stuff going on, uh, see what the companies were demoing, uh, what was for sale. I'm not really going to talk about, Uh, A whole lot of the games in detail, at least not right now. Uh, I'll leave that to some of the future episodes. But uh, uh, I basically spent uh, Thursday just walking around, checking stuff out. And then uh, I met up with some people, and then we just started gaming. Started gaming like crazy over in the different halls. They have those huge halls where they have the organized events. And then you can, of course, find an empty spot and just plop down and then just start gaming with your friends, and uh, that's definitely what I did. On Friday, basically more of the same, walked the halls again, checked out all sorts of stuff, looked at uh, everything that I could see, and uh, did some testing, did some gaming as well, and repeat. Now, Friday night is the uh, 
grand fabled, or I don't know what you would want to call it, EEG event. I mean, this thing is crazy. I've been for the last couple of years, and I've been on the fence uh, as to whether I would do it again. But uh, once I got out there, I had to do it. So uh, I went over there. It starts at 8 o'clock on Fridays, and they have that big swag box that they give away. And it's actually a pretty decent deal. It's uh, usually around $32, I believe, to get the tickets for the event. Uh, This thing does sell out real fast. So if you're going to try to get in on this thing, then definitely get your tickets ahead of time. They do take some generic tickets, but uh, that's not guaranteed. That's definitely not guaranteed. Well, uh, you can get there for the event, of course, but uh, you're probably not going to get a swag box since they only have limited amounts of those. But that thing started at 8 o'clock, and it was just packed, 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 packed. And uh, they had tons of games going on. They had Doomtown. They had a lot of their uh, smaller card games like MyStar, uh, Sail to India, and such. And it actually got to the point where they didn't have enough room for all of the people. So they actually had to spread the whole event out uh, beyond that area that was uh, given to them. I don't think that they've had this situation in the past, so you can really tell how popular this event is. And um, again, uh, definitely check it out uh, if you're going out there. Uh, I highly recommend it uh, now, definitely. Then, um, yeah, so more and more gaming. So uh, here I'll just go into a little bit of detail as to the companies uh, that I saw out there, like their booth event, their booths and uh, what I saw, what I thought of such. And again, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail with the different games. Uh, I'll talk about some of them in, in future shows as I do reviews on them and such. But, uh, you know, first off, uh, BGG was out there. So Board Game Geek was out there. They do the filming of all of their videos that they post online and all of their interviews and such. So they were out there, they were doing uh, their videos, and they've got a really nice rig out there. Uh, you basically see uh, some of the you know common uh, BGG folks on the videos. They were all out there walking around in their jerseys. And then they were also selling promos, lots of promos out there, You know things that you would get in the BGG store. You can uh, purchase them uh, for your cold, hard cash. And then uh, they also had that uh, hotness meter thing. Well, I forget what they call it exactly, but this is where people go up and they just kind of rate things based as to, uh, you know, what they think is really hot at the show. And the thing that I was really surprised is I had some preconceived notions of some games that would be really hot and, and um, popular at the show. And that hotness, um, it didn't quite match up with, with my take on things. Like the number one game uh, at, this was probably sometime on Friday that uh, I stopped in there uh, to really check it out. Uh, On Friday, I think it was Heroes Wanted. And um, I I was really surprised by that. I figured it would be something like, you know, Dead of Winter or, uh, you know, just like one of the more popular titles. But uh, it was Heroes Wanted. And another one that really kind of surprised me was Boss Monster was uh, pretty high in the ranks. Not that it's a bad game. It just, you know, I thought it would be something, you know, by one of the big names like, you know, FFG or, or, 
plaid hat or, or Z-Man or something like that. But, uh, hey, if the smaller companies can get in there and they can get the number one spot, hey, that's, that's just wonderful. So uh, moving on, uh, there was the AEG booth. Uh, over there, they had Doomtown for sale. They also had the premium version. Uh, I thought I saw it on the upper shelf uh, from afar. Uh, the premium version was something that I was really eyeballing. I was really, really wondering about it just because it it, it was sort of mysterious at the time. You, you know, it's a wooden box. You know exactly what did everything look like because I don't think anybody had really gone through an unboxing or anything on that. But uh, some of the components on there are pretty sweet. But in the end, it was a little too pricey for me, so I decided... Uh, not to go for it because I think it was $120 for the set. Granted, uh, if you like Doomtown, this is probably the set for you uh, because it has some really cool stuff in there, some really cool chips and uh, a Sheriff Star and a really nice insert to hold everything. But uh, other than that, uh, they also had Istanbul, Pagoda, Smash Up, uh, you know, a lot of the usual AEG games. And they also had the return of the huge bags. So I got me one of those and I had the usual problem with those. They're fantastic bags, but I really wish I was probably about four feet taller because as soon as you load this huge bag up and it's strong, it'll carry everything. But as soon as you load this thing up, it's just slamming into your shins, into your knee. Uh, It's really awkward to carry, but it carries a lot of stuff. And that stuff could get heavy, but uh, it's good to see their bags back. And I just brought mine from last year as well, just in case, but I didn't need to use it. Moving on from AEG, there's Asmati Games. Asmati had a a decent-sized booth. Uh, They make a a ton of games, uh, probably best known for games such as uh, Innovation and, and, and such. Uh, they had uh, the main game that I was really looking forward to was Red. Uh, this was a game that was available in a print and play, and they're going to be publishing it later this year. Uh, the name uh, has been changed slightly, so it's going to be called Red 7 instead of just Red. They had uh, 50 copies a day that they were selling, so uh, I managed to get uh, one of the last copies on Thursday. There's only, I think, uh, two copies left or something like that. Uh, when I picked mine up, this is a, a little card game that I'll go into more detail uh, later on in this episode. But I was so excited that I got this game. I was actually kind of nervous that I missed out, but luckily I didn't. Uh, they also had some other games in there, uh, including the recently released Impulse and Equinox. This is a game that has been kind of uh, uh, in the works for a while now, and they finally had copies to sell. Then moving on to Asmodee. Asmodee had a huge booth, as usual, a lot of table space to do demos, and then they had a big area where they were selling their games, and of course, Asmodee is, uh, I believe now, like the hugest uh, or the largest game company, at least hobby game company, because it's a collaboration of all these other companies and studios. They recently acquired uh, Days of Wonder, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, Asmodee had uh, a huge area. They had Abyss out there that had four different covers and uh, lots of copies of it. Uh, I I thought it would sell out a lot quicker, but uh, there were still copies to be had on Friday, 
although the piles were getting smaller and smaller. Uh, they also had Lords of Zidit, which is a pretty interesting looking game. It's got that artwork from the uh, universe of Seasons. So it's got the same artist. And uh, that's one game that I'd really like to check out. Uh, Days of Wonder, the the newly acquired uh, company uh, that Asmodee owns now or is, is merging with or whatever you want to call it. They had five tribes. This was one of the big hits of of the show, but they only had 50 a day from what I understand that they were uh, giving away. So 50 go really quick first thing in the morning. So you got to get there at 10 o'clock on the dot, head straight over to Days of Wonder in order to get a copy. I know there were people uh, tweeting out there if somebody could get them a copy because they can't make it in time and such. But uh, Five Tribes uh, definitely uh, was a winner for them. It's a shame that they didn't have more copies. FFG had a huge, huge, huge line, just like I had mentioned. They had demos. Actually, their area in the show is massive. Uh, and uh, they had demos of XCOM, uh, which uh, looks to be pretty interesting. That's the game that's got the uh, tablet that you would use in there as an assistant to the game. So uh, everybody that was demoing it had their iPad or whatnot that they were using for the game. And then they were also uh, demoing Witcher, which, uh, well, I guess Witcher, which, the uh, Witcher, uh, where uh, Ignacy Trevichek was actually out there uh, for a little while and he was demoing the game because he's the one that designed it. So that's another one that I'm really interested in checking out uh, as well. Uh, so XCOM and Witcher uh, were probably uh, two of the bigger titles, at least for me, over from FFG. Then uh, they also made their, actually a whole bunch of announcements. Uh, probably one of the bigger ones is that Armada is coming out and Armada is uh, a new game uh, set in the Star Wars universe, of course, like their uh, X-Wing uh, miniatures game. And it's going to have uh, a little bit of a different gameplay to it. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard about it, you've read all about it, but uh, that was uh, one of the cool, cool things that they had announced. Then uh, Floodgate Games, uh, they had Epic Resort. So this was probably like the big title for them. And... Um, I wasn't sure what to make of this initially. I, I looked at it a couple of times and then one of my buddies picked it up and he was telling me about it. And I'm like, Oh, I, I really want to check this thing out. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go get it. And uh, they were sold out. So hey, you snooze, you lose, I guess. So I'll have to wait uh, until later on when it's available to the masses. Fun Forge was out there. They were in the uh, passport studios, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think it was in Passport's uh, booth space over there. They had Samurai Spirit. Uh, this is a cool new game by Antoine Bauza, and uh, I managed to snag a copy of that thing, and uh, I was lucky enough to have Antoine uh, sign it. So that was uh, very cool, and is now my treasured copy of Samurai Spirit. And no, you can't have it. Uh, Gale Force 9, they had... Crazy, crazy, crazy time last year when they were uh, selling Firefly, and Firefly just sold out so fast. Uh, they just tore through those copies like crazy. Uh, this year they had Sons of Anarchy, 
and uh, what's it called? Uh, Sons of Anarchy, Men of Mayhem, I believe is, is the full name of it. There were a lot of copies of that. So Sons of Anarchy, which is a pretty cool show uh, on its own, um, a, a lot, much longer running show than Firefly. Uh, it must not have as much of a, uh, I guess, uh, it, it's not as favored as Firefly amongst uh, all of the geeks. So uh, they had tons of copies of that, and I'm also I'm interested in checking that game out. Uh, going on to Game Salute, Game Salute had uh, a booth that was kind of a a strange booth in comparison to a lot of the other ones. Uh, a lot of booths are very open; you can kind of get into them from any side. The Game Salute booth uh, was one of those that kind of trap you in there. And it makes it kind of hard to walk around, uh, hard to check stuff out. But they had a ton of games, a lot of their more recent games that had come out. And one thing that was cool is I believe they were the ones that had Invaders by uh, Mark Chaplin. Uh, That's a a very cool two-player, one of those like uh, asymmetrical games. Uh, Definitely check that thing out uh, if you get an opportunity since it's now available out here in the United States in sort of like limited supplies. Uh, prior to that, it was only a European distribution. But, uh, yeah, they had that uh, strange um, configuration, and you were kind of trapped in there uh, walking from the entrance to the exit. Uh, it was a little difficult to check stuff out, but they did have a lot of things, uh, a lot of their recent uh, Kickstarter games and such. Uh, Greater Than Games, they also had a big line. They had a lot of attention, of course, hey, you know, this company a couple of years ago, they had a tiny little booth. And now with Sentinels of the Multiverse and uh, all of their other games that they've come out with, including um, Sentinel Tactics and uh, that card game that they came out with, um, uh, Galactic Strike Force. Uh, th- these guys are just tearing it up. They are uh, they are now no longer a, the, the little company. They are like one of the, the big companies out there. Uh, definitely get a lot of attention. Uh, definitely a fan favorite. Uh, they had, uh, again, a pretty big line. A lot of people checking out uh, the tactics game. Yellow. Uh, these guys also had a huge booth, uh, pretty comparable to uh, previous years. And uh, their big titles this year were King of New York. Uh, that's probably like the biggest one that they had. And they sold out of this thing super fast. So King of New York is um, a newer version of of uh, King of Tokyo, essentially, or it's similar to, and I'm probably saying new version, newer version is not the correct way to put it, but it's a, um, it's a game that I think sold out within like a couple hours, if that, I don't know, I think you even made it that quickly. And uh, they kind of... Uh, the news a little bit because they had a shipment that was actually delayed. I think it was delayed in customs or or something, which kind of stinks. So it was like one or more pallets that they couldn't get to the show, even though they wanted to. So that kind of stinks for them. And it kind of stinks for everybody that wanted to get King of New York. And hey, you'll have to wait, I guess. Uh, They also had Heroes of Normandy out there. This is a game on Kickstarter that was on Kickstarter a little while ago. And uh, it released, they were selling, you know, some of the add-ons and such. Uh, They also had uh, Zombie 15. There was a really big set that they had, always had like a huge crowd of people checking it out. 
And then uh, outside of that, they had a whole bunch of other games as well. Uh, probably not as uh, well known of titles as uh, some of the ones that I had just mentioned, uh, including the newest in the, um, it's that uh, series where it's a little sort of like a, a book shaped box and it's like the kids' stories redone. They had Hare and the Tortoise redone. So they have Three Little Pigs, Baba Yaga, and the Hare and the Tortoise. That's the third uh, title. Although the Hare and the Tortoise was released uh, just prior to Gen Con, so it's technically not a Gen Con release. Lookout is now partnered uh, or purchased by Mayfair, so uh, they are in the same booth in Mayfair's massive uh, gaming area. And uh, booth, uh, some of the games from Lookout uh, that were out there are more smaller uh, box games. For example, there's Gold Ahoy, Johari, and such. Um, Mayfair seemed to have only previously released games, like they had that. Uh, uh, what is it called? That uh, what? Not bed knobs and broomsticks, or something like that. And then. I forget the exact name right now. It's it's escaping me. And they also had uh, the Tin Roof game and, and such. Uh, nothing really super new, unfortunately. Uh, Paizo was out there. They had a pretty decent line as well. Uh, they had the new Pathfinder card game. Uh, so that's uh, the, the second version of that. A Plaid Hat had that crazy line that I had mentioned initially. Dead of Winter was selling like crazy. Mice and Mystics expansion as well. And they also had Video Game High School, which uh, uh, they were demoing all of those. There was a lot of activity in that booth, a lot of interest from people. Again, this is another company that i just been skyrocketing uh, in the past couple of years, going from the small company that did uh, Summoner Wars, and now look at them. Uh, they're uh, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, Portal was out there. They had uh, Imperial Settlers, which was a huge hit of the show. A lot of people wanted this thing. One thing that was really cool, was really great for Portal as well, is that they sold out of their extra copies of Imperial Settlers in 26 minutes. Wow, that, that's that's pretty amazing. Uh, there were a lot of people that pre-ordered uh, Imperial Settlers, uh, including myself. I did that, and I'm glad I did. So basically, if you pre-ordered it for Gen Con Pickup, uh, you purchased a copy and it was there waiting for you. You did not have to rush. And uh, I picked up mine, uh, I think, uh, towards midday Thursday. And uh, I just basically took my time getting over there. But uh, it was very cool to have uh, my copy handed to me by uh, Ignacy himself. So uh, that, that was pretty sweet. Uh, he also had uh, some Hiroshima Hex stuff over there and uh, some expansions and such. Uh, that was very, very cool. Privateer Press, they had level 7 in high command. They had a decent line over there, uh, a pretty big area. Um, then uh, Queen Games, again, big area for them. They had a ton of titles, a lot of old stuff. Of the newer stuff, uh, they had Greed by Donald X. Vaccarino. This was one that uh, I was really interested in checking out, but I wound up not getting it. Uh, then and there, figured I'd wait on it. And they also had Tortuga and the big box for Fresco. 
amongst uh, you know the the usual games that they have. Uh, Stronghold Games is out there in force. They had a whole bunch of games out there, including Diamonds, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, they had Panamax. They had some advanced copies of Panamax for sale. Again, this is another game that I'm kind of interested in, and uh, I kind of delayed on it, and they sold out pretty quick on this thing. I think within like two or three hours, they sold out of all their copies. And then, hey, I had no chance, no choice but to wait. Uh, they also had uh, Space Cadet stuff out there, and they're the U.S. distributor, um, or I guess that's probably not the best way to term it, uh, they're co-publishing Artipia games in the United States, so they had the Artipia games out there as well. A lot of interest in those, and uh, by the way, those are fantastic games. I got the uh, actual Artipia copies myself. Uh, and Diamonds sold out as well, uh, so they had Diamonds sell out, Panamax sell out. I don't know what happened after Friday, but I imagine uh, they probably got depleted pretty good after that as well. Uh, Tasty Minstrel had a decent-sized booth out there as well. They had a lot of uh, uh, games that were in, like, little envelopes since uh, they've been publishing a couple of games that are pretty much a small form factor, like the uh, Cowboy game that just came out. It's called uh, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Two to Four of Us. I believe that's the that's the title, or, or pretty close to it there. Yeah, Dungeon Roll and, and the like. Then, uh, let's see here, Upper Deck. Upper Deck, uh, makers of such fine games as Legendary, Legendary Encounters, Legendary Villains, and, and all the like there. Uh, they had a pretty cool little area where they were actually doing, um, basically it's like a, what is it called, a bystander card, I think. So you could be on a bystander card where they took your picture, you did a pose, and then they printed a card of you. Uh, so that was pretty cool to watch that being done and uh, you can get your own card. Then, oh, and by the way, uh, Legendary Encounters is, is a pretty sweet game. Uh, almost think I like it better than Legendary. The original Legendary. And then uh, there's also uh, lastly, uh, Z-Man Games. Uh, Z-Man was out there in force. They had a whole bunch of games. Uh, one thing that kind of really surprised me is that the line at Z-Man was actually not very large. Uh, it wasn't like any of the other companies, but they had some solid games out there. They had uh, the Battle at Kimball's Cascade. This is like that video game that they had been touting for a while now. There's Chimera. Uh, that's a new three-player uh, trick-taking game, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, Pandemic Contagion was out there, Tragedy Looper. But again, uh, there's a lot of people demoing, a lot of people there, but there weren't any big lines buying uh, games. And I mean, even last year, they had a whole bunch of games like Bruges. They had um, Palaces of Carrara and such. I think the lines were slightly bigger back then, but uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they just don't get the buzz like some of the other companies do. So those were uh, the big standout companies for me and uh, and kind of like what they had going on. Overall, I, I'd say that uh, this year at Gen Con was a little different than the past years that I had been there because uh, there was a lot of, there were a lot of games out there that really 
well, they're not available for purchase. They're demo only. They're going to be coming out later this year or they're Kickstarters right now or something's going on with them where they're not available for sale. And I don't know, for, for me, it's kind of a, a bummer in some respects. You know, granted, it's cool to check the games out and, and play them. But for me, I don't know. Uh, I have you Gen Con as a big sh- shopping store, maybe. But uh, I really like to see games where if I like the game, I can pick it up then and there. And uh, they had, a, you know, just a, a lot of demo action for games that weren't available. So that's one thing that really uh, stuck out for me. Then also... I can't say that there's any real huge, massive standout hit that ran away with the show. In previous years, like uh, was maybe it was last year or the year, no, two years ago, I think it was Netrunner. Like that game was just crazy. I mean, everybody had to have a copy of it. This year, I, I didn't really get a sense of that. There were some games that were, you know, hits of the show, no, not hits of the show, but they were very popular. Like you had your Dead of Winter, you had your... Uh, Imperial Settlers, Five Tribes, Samurai Spirit, uh, King of New York, your Panamax. A lot of those really weren't out there in full force. There weren't a whole lot of copies or very limited copies of the games. So maybe that's one reason why there wasn't a, you know, that huge standout hit this year. But uh, overall the, the show was uh, fun Uh I can't say it was as crazy as it was in previous years. At least that's my perception. Uh, it seemed very like relaxed, uh, kind of not laid back, but just a lot of people having fun, uh, just enjoying the place. This year, the hall was larger than previous years. So in previous years, if you had been there, it kind of ended where Z-Man is. There's a wall that would run up uh, all the way to the opposite side from where Z-Man is. And then this year they took some of the gaming space from the halls and they converted it into the uh, exhibit hall. And I don't know, it's probably at least I would guess 20% bigger based on what I saw on the map. So that was really surprising to see that the actual uh, event area, not well, yeah, the exhibit area is bigger. And it says something for the hobby, and I'm really wondering how long it's going to be before they start really outrunning the size of the Indiana Convention Center. So um, that's good to see, and uh, I believe that the actual attendance was uh, definitely up this year than it was previous years. So that, again, is awesome, awesome news. Because, uh, you know, we want to see our hobby expanding. and. Uh, I don't know if if they move from Indiana to somewhere else. Uh, I don't know if I'd like that since Indiana is close enough to Chicago where I can just have a quick, easy trip down there, just a couple hours of a drive and I'm there and I can basically head back the same day versus, uh, you know, some folks that unfortunately even right now have to take an airplane. Sorry guys. I mean, you live where you live. I live where I live, but, uh, you know, I, I just I think that they're going to be out there for a couple more years. That's how their contract goes. But uh, I'll be sad to see them go further away. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think they'll be going to Chicago. It's too expensive out here in Chicago to hold a lot of these conventions. So uh, that was it. Uh, that's basically my take on uh, Gen Con 2014. Hope you and like or hope you liked uh, what I had to say. 
And uh, I'm looking forward to Gen Con 2015. All right, everybody. So uh, right now we've got a very special guest uh, on the show, uh, Mr. Philip Dubarry of uh, of extreme fame, I think, uh, at least in my eyes. He's uh, been on the show uh, once before, about a year, year and a half ago, and it's a great pleasure to have him back. Uh, he's uh, done a whole bunch of games, including Revolution, Canalis, Courtier, and uh, a whole bunch of other games. Uh, so uh, welcome to the show, Philip. I'm very happy to have you here. All right, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. You've got a whole bunch of stuff in the works. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you seem, uh, at least this year and probably next year, seems to be a very busy time for you. Yeah. A whole bunch of projects uh, on the way. Uh, there's currently one going on, and uh, you just finished uh, a Kickstarter with your daughter not too long ago. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then uh, last month we finished up uh, with uh, the project with Jason Kacharski, Fidelitas. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That uh, cool little card game. Actually, I'm kind of curious. Uh, uh, how was it to work with your daughter on that project? Because uh, you know, well, it's... my daughter's project was Tiger Stripes. Yes. And uh, yeah, no, no, that was that was really cool. And uh, we're hoping that that's going to show up about uh, March from the printers and all, and uh, be available. But uh, that's been definitely been a good experience for her, just being able to see all the behind the scenes kind of stuff that goes on in making a game and being involved in that and seeing you know the professional art come and everything. It's been pretty neat. Do you think that there's a uh, game design future for her where she's going to start uh, maybe? being some competition for you <laughs> yeah i don't know i uh i try not to push her too hard but yeah. you know i ask her every once in a while of course we play games a lot and she helps me play test and so i don't know maybe maybe that'll click in her brain one day and maybe she'll go a different direction i don't know well time will tell time <laughs> will tell and uh i, I bet it's really going to be a, a special thing for her to see her game out in the stores yeah that's going to be cool that, that definitely is probably going to be one of those uh pull out the video camera or the, the phone <laughs> <laughs> and follow her into the store. Uh, very cool. Actually, another thing for you. So uh, for your uh, previous games that you had, Revolution, uh, Kingdom of Solomon, Cordier, and, and such, uh, you've uh, been doing a lot with various companies where they published your game, and now you're uh, doing a whole bunch with Kickstarter. Is, mm -hmm. How is that? Is it, uh, you know, it's obviously a, a whole different experience. Yeah, well, I've had good experiences and, and more difficult experiences. Um, actually, Kingdom of Solomon was on uh, Kickstarter as well. That was back yes. in the back in the old days of of uh, Kickstarter. I mean, I think our goal was like five thousand dollars or something, and you know, we we made ten thousand dollars, so it was like fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was one of the first games uh, that Minion did. Yeah, um, yeah, that was one of their first ones that was on Kickstarter. Yeah. And then, then the the ones from AEG they they were not on Kickstarter, but then right. um, Family Vacation was on Kickstarter, and we actually did not make our goal. I was I was kind of looking back at that one recently, and um, uh, I don't know. We just we just completely bombed out on that one. Um, I mean, we didn't even get twenty five percent. I don't think so. That was that was kind of rough. The good news was that uh, he uh, Jolly Rogers went ahead and printed it anyway. And so those were available for sale at origins and uh, he's still selling them. And I talked to him a little bit about that and he seems happy with how it's going. So, uh, so that's kind of a happy into the story. And then uh, tiger stripes um, sort of struggled. It was a small goal, but it, it's a family or a kid's game. And so I, I don't know if that connected with the, uh, Kickstarter audience, and uh, I think maybe that was the trouble of family vacation too. 
But uh, there at the end, uh, we had some more people come in right at the last, and and they uh, were able to uh, push right. Isabel's game over the top. And uh, and then the Fidel toss went just almost blew up. I mean, it was it was fantastic. We we did really well on that, so that was really exciting. How was it to uh, co-design that game? Yeah, it was fun. Um, I had never co-designed with anybody before, and um, but uh, I was playtesting that game for Jason and. Um, I, I had some I had some ideas about it, and I thought maybe I could help him uh, actually pitch it to another company, and uh, we did, and they didn't want it. <laughs> but they, oh, wow. they, okay. they didn't completely turn us down. They said, well, maybe if you make this change and that change, they wanted it basically to be a bigger game or a smaller game, and we sort of had to have kind of a you know heart-to-heart there and say, well, what are we going to do with this game? And uh, so we ended up making it even bigger, and so we added a bunch of extra characters and things. And then the company just sort of sat on their hands for a long time and, and didn't really tell us very much. And we felt like maybe they weren't very interested. And I think maybe they weren't. Or maybe it was just taking them a while. But anyway, Jason says, you know, I've been wanting to make my own company anyway, so I'm, I would just like to make this game myself. Sure. And so I said, all right, sure, that sounds great. Let's go for it. And um, he did his homework, and uh, it worked out really well. I guess the one big difference in uh, in uh, working with somebody else is that, you know, you don't get to just call all the shots. You have to kind of, there's a lot of back and forth, and um, I've heard some horror stories about that, but uh, Jason's really, really easy to work with, and we got along really well, and I don't think we had any super big disagreements, um, but we, you know, we had some things where we, we had to go back and forth a little bit on, and um, we had to have some playtesters break a few of our uh, ties yeah. <laughs> that we had on some issues. But uh, I think at the end, you can really see uh, you can see both of us in that game, and uh, it's it's better for it. You've got a brand new Kickstarter that's uh, currently in progress right now mm-hmm. uh, of uh, Skyway Robbery. That's right. Uh, what was that like to develop? Because uh, I saw in the Kickstarter video that was uh, initially a different theme, working title, and so forth. Sure, yeah. Uh, what's the history on uh, Skyway Robbery? Well, I started to work on it back in 2010, so this has been a long time coming. Um, originally, the game was called Bank Job, and um, I really wanted a game that was a, a good heist game. You know, I, I, I've been watching movies like Ocean's Eleven right. and things like that where, you know, you've got to hire your, your gang members that have specific talents that uh, if you have them in the right combination, they can get through all the defenses that are guarding whatever you're trying to steal. And that was really the heart of the game. And it still is the heart of the game of Skyway Robbery. Uh, what happened is we we uh, we decided to change it into a uh, steampunk theme because back when we were talking about that, you know, there, there weren't nearly as many steampunk games, and we thought, oh, this will be cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, so did everybody else. But, exactly. Uh, but that's okay. I, it's still not as overdone as zombies, so we're 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 good. And yeah, sure. uh, what it what it allowed us to do was really expand the uh, the universe of the game and the uh, just the it's it's more uh, immersive and uh, it's a bigger story. And we you go to lots different lots of different exotic places, and there's all these characters that you know are a little quirkier. And uh, a little more fantastical, and so I think it's 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 been able to uh, make the game a lot more uh, thematic and and fun ultimately. Another thing on that whole theme and, and such is 
For example, with uh, Courtier, it was set in the Tempest universe, mm -hmm. uh, where you had the different characters and storyline and such. Is Skyway Robbery something similar? Because it uses the like the environment of uh, Ruse, right? That's correct. Yeah, well, and uh, you know, we put Gaslight Empire on the top of it because uh, you know, if if this is successful, we could do more Gaslight Empire games. So this definitely could be a, a universe that we can find out more about in the future, and uh, you know, get more involved with these characters. Maybe even have some some uh, short fiction works written about this universe and. Uh, so there's definitely some some possibilities for the future. When you're using these uh, this gaslight uh, uh, environment, are, are you actually expanding on that environment on your own, or are you just using pre-scripted, pre-thought-out? Well, I mean, we things? were kind of we were kind of weaving it together as we went. Very cool. Um, the uh, the ruse game sort of. As a, as a starting point, and then we're kind of just taking some elements from that. But uh, that's that's one of the uh, the strengths with the the art in the game is um, simultaneously with doing all the art back behind of it all was was some backstory to all these different characters and some and uh, stories about what the different places in the world is like. And there's all kinds of little maps that we drew of where these places were and what this alternate universe would be like and uh, so there's all this this material that we have that's kind of back behind that you won't even see in the game, but what we have that for stories and for future games and just to make the characters that are in this game a little more have a little more depth to them. Uh, they all have their own stories, their own motivations, and some of that is in the game, and you can see that on the flavor text and some other things. But we've very carefully thought out a lot of that, and uh, the artists were able to to incorporate a lot of that into the uh, the different. Uh, characters that that were drawn uh and there's all kinds of little easter eggs and you know connections and things and little symbols that show up in different cards that uh you know you might say why is that there well there's because that's you know there's all kinds of a reason back behind of it all why why we did it that way and and that's i think that makes cool. for kind of a neat uh place to to have a game so i love easter eggs and all that <laughs> uh, hidden reasoning and uh, i'm sure you know, some things you just don't get being, uh, you know, just looking at it casually. Yeah. But, uh, that, that, that is very cool. Uh, speaking of another thing that's cool, that art for that game is fantastic. <laughs> I, I remember when you first posted, uh, I believe it was on your website, uh, it was, I don't know, about a year ago or so. You <laughs> first posted the artwork for it and it, it was just amazing. Kudos to that. You've worked with a whole no whole bunch of artists, I believe. Yeah, there's quite a few artists. By the end of it, there's there's, there's so much art in the game, so many different cards, and they they all have this just fantastic art. Uh, we we started having to hire more artists just to get through the load. And and uh, um, hats off to Dan May who did the art direction. He was able to uh, fold everybody in and get everybody into kind of the same vision and. Um, and have a very similar look to what they were doing and so that it all fit together really well. And yeah, that took a long time to do that. And, uh, um, imagine, yeah. And that's another reason why, you know, we've been working on it for so long. And so that's kind of what was holding up the Kickstarter. We wanted to get everything ready so that when the Kickstarter's over, we can hand these files over to the printer and we, we are ready, ready to go. So I don't believe we're going to see any, uh, delays or anything on this project. People want to see their games soon, not two years down the road. Right. 
So it's definitely good to hear that everything's ready. And and also in regards to the art, uh, I'm just amazed that all of those artists were able to keep a similar style because every artist has their own style of, yeah, of sure. work. And just to have everybody do similar work uh, is, is is quite a feat, I'm sure. What can you tell us about the game? Um, I already mentioned about the theme, how it's a heist game, putting together your criminals uh, so that you can go. And uh, they, what happens is everybody is riding this big, fancy cruise liner type airship to different places and it's traveling along its its route and there's a by the way there's 10 different places that you can go in the game 10 different locations but you're only going to use five of them for any one game and those are kind of randomly put out and so your games are going to be very different from one game to the next exactly what's available to be stolen and what sort of obstacles are going to be in your way and which things are going to be more important and so i think that's kind of an interesting uh, thing about the game and so the whole point of it is to get the, the best criminal reputation. So you want to, you know, be able to pull off the most heists and, and do some other things. There's a couple of other ways that you can get those points. And then that's the, the goal of the game. And so how, how a turn works is you, every, everybody has seven action cards and you're going to program those actions. You're going to program three actions every turn. And then those are going to secretly, and then those are going to be flipped over as the round progresses. Okay. And um, so it's really kind of a race to see if you can get your stuff assembled and then go and do these heists before your uh, opponents can. And uh, you can also, in, in all that programming of actions, you can call the police on other people so that if they do something illegal after that, it'll become more difficult for them and it will get you some points. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, mind games that, that go along with all of the planning and scheming. And uh, there's just a lot of action, and uh, I think people will enjoy it. It's a very large game, isn't it? Like It is. It's large, yeah. It, the board is really big, and there's lots and lots of cards everywhere. Uh, some people have said that maybe that's a little bit overwhelming. We've tried to do as much as we can to make it streamlined and easy and intuitive, uh, in fact, the very first turn that you have, you'll only you only use half the board, and yeah. then when you get after you get past the first turn, you'll start seeing some more cards, and so it sort of tries to ease you into the game a little bit. But yeah, the first game may be a little bit intimidating. There's a lot of symbols and things, which we're going to include a lot of extra helps and reference uh, oh, materials cool. in the the manual to to really walk you through those things. But um, but once once you uh, play a couple of times, you're, you're going to be an expert and it, it goes very smoothly, and um, there's really not a whole lot of downtime at all. It just sort of happens simultaneously, and um, oh, wonderful! And so it's um, everybody's just doing like one action that they've already decided almost what it is every time. There's a little bit of waiting, but um, and there's some interaction too. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be neat. There's two versions of the game, right? There's uh, like the regular. A version and a deluxe version. That's right. Yeah, if if, uh, if you get the deluxe version, you also get 122 wooden tokens to go along with your game, and so that'll give you more reputation uh, tokens and some money tokens, and uh, and I think there's a another special airship token and a first player token, and so um, yeah, that that should add quite a bit to your game if if you want to do that that level. I was reading on the Kickstarter. It's uh, pre-stretched, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which uh, is an uh, interesting term. I, I love it. Kind of a different uh, philosophy. 
Um, again, I think the, the main reason for it is just to make this as clean of an experience as possible and to make sure that, uh, you know, backers are not waiting for us to come up with all of this extra material and to play test it and make sure the art's there. We don't have to do any of that because we've, it's already complete. The whole game is finished and all the art's finished and it's, it's ready. It's been play tested. Um, and additionally, we've started out right at the front. Uh, with the highest quality materials possible. So we've got like ivory core cards and the Excellent. thickest kind of cardboard that you can have. And I mean, just everything is just is perfect right off the bat. So there's no need for any stretch goals. And um, maybe some people say, well, maybe that's not exciting. But I tell you what, it's going to be exciting at the end. To, to, you know, if, if we're, uh, depending on how close we get to that goal, I think people are going to realize maybe... I can't just sit and, you know, buy this at retail later on because, you know, if we don't make our goal, nobody's going to see this game. And I think that's going to, that's going to be quite enough excitement for, for, uh, for getting us to the, to the funding goal, uh, as it is. But once we do find, you'll have a completely pre-stretched game. Everything is, is there and it's of the highest quality. Yeah. That's one thing I, people have that notion of the stretch goals and, and the excitement of it. But if you think about it, in some cases, if there's all these stretch goals to up the quality later on, if you don't get those stretch goals, doesn't that sort of imply that you're getting a subpar game? Right. That's true. Yeah. And that happens in a lot of circumstances, you know, people yeah. lay out all of these, you know, 10 things that they want to do and maybe they get like two of them. And then what, you know, that's kind of, that kind of stinks. Oh, for sure. And you've just basically taken that off the table and, and you've given uh, the best game possible, which is which is really nice. One other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, there was a, a little bit of hubbub or whatever you want to call it about the shipping initially for <laughs> the international folks. It's, uh, it's good to see that uh, you've been responsive to that. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, uh, this is a very heavy game. It's a very big game and, uh, and very that's expensive. literally heavy, right? <laughs> right, no, yeah. Like heavy weight. <laughs> yeah, the actual weight of it is quite a bit. And uh, shipping things halfway across the world is very expensive, despite what other Kickstarters may do or may choose to lose money on. Um, but uh, it's, it's an expensive thing. But even so, we have uh, been able to work our contacts and, and come up with a few extra people to help us with the distribution so that uh, all the, um, the Canadian award, or rewards will ship from Canada, so you won't have to worry about any of that. And it's a much uh, reduced cost from what we originally said. And uh, everything in the, the EU will ship from the EU and... That will be $20 instead of $40. So that's a good reduction in the price. Um, and so, you know, we've been able to reduce shipping for quite a few of our uh, non-U.S. backers. You know, that's one thing that people don't really consider too often un unless you've actually, like even here in the United States, if you go to the post office and you try to mail a box, <laughs> it's not as cheap as you think. Yeah. Uh, I, I ship things for work all the time, and it was... Uh, the, the pricing is just crazy. Like I ship. Well, it has been going up too. Yeah, oh, yeah. So that's that's a big deal. Like I shipped the laptop from San Francisco to Chicago. It was a hundred and sixty dollars to ship it. <laughs> Granted, it was overnight, but yeah. And you know, a laptop's not much bigger than a game. So no. yeah, the the game looks 
really fantastic. I'm excited for it. I can't wait to see it. We'll have to see how the Kickstarter goes. Uh, it looks like it might be a, a nail biter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've got some pretty good momentum going. I mean, True. we're over the yes. 50% mark. We still got, you know, many, we got about two weeks left. Well, not quite two weeks, but really close to it. And, um, we had a pretty good day today. And I think once, uh, we, we have a few more, uh, bigger reviews coming out pretty soon and uh, some other tricks up our sleeve. I, I think we'll be, we'll be in good shape. Is, is there anything else you want to add? Uh, well, I will uh, give a quick plug to uh, something that's going to happen uh, next month. I have actually another Kickstarter that's going to be uh, for uh, Spirits of the Rice Paddy with Ape oh, yes. And uh, that's going to happen in, in October. I'm not exactly sure which day it's going to start, but uh, I mean, it's going to be pretty soon. And that is kind of a, a, a much more of a Euro game than some of my some of my past games. Uh, it's, it's more of a you know hour and a half to two hour kind of a thing, and it's about uh, farming rice and growing rice. And but you have the help of the spirit world, and so there's some card drafts uh, to help you to get these spirit cards, which give you special powers. And um, when you there's going to be six rounds, you play one of them. Uh, you play your first spirit card, and then you're going to use that spirit card six more times or five more times after the first time. You play your second one, you're going to resolve both of them. You play your third, you're going to resolve all of them. So it's kind of a building of your abilities throughout the game, which is kind of exciting. And you're building these little uh, rice patties out of these little wooden sticks. And uh, the main mechanism of the game, uh, besides being a worker allocation game where you're, you're allocating your 10 or 15 workers into the different spots of return, but the, the, the main kind of twisty sort of mechanic is that uh, you have to control the water as it flows through your different patties. And the water is limited. It's a very scarce resource in the game. It depends on how much rainfall there was that turn and that sort of thing and what your opponents have built. But uh, basically, if you let water out of your patties, it goes to your opponent's patty downhill. And then there it goes to the next person. And uh, during a round, you want the water in there for part of your turn, but you want it out of there for the other part. And it's kind of this, you know, balance of, you know, how how much, you know, how far can I push this and what can I do? And I need my rice to grow. And I don't know. I th- I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, we've had kind of a lot of excitement and buzz here at the beginning. Uh, people talking about it a little more great, than I great. was expecting them to be. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to some, some uh, pretty cool uh, days ahead. Oh, definitely. That's uh, another game that definitely got me intrigued. That's for sure. Um, and when you fire that thing up, uh, you know, you're definitely welcome back on the show to talk about it. I'd love cool. to talk about it. Yeah, we'll do it. You've got a blog and, and Twitter. Uh, where right, can my, our listeners find you? Okay, my blog is uh, fantasiogames.net. And then I'm on Twitter at pduberry. So, um, yeah, those are pretty good places to find me. Check out Philip's blog and follow him on Twitter to get the latest on uh, what he's up to. Definitely check out Skyway Robbery. The Kickstarter goes up until the 25th, I believe. That's right. Thursday, September 25th, 2014. So if you're listening to the show and it's still within that time frame, definitely check out the Kickstarter uh, afterwards. <laughs> I guess uh, mm-hmm. look for it on the, your local uh, uh, store's retail shelves. So, uh, hey, Philip, uh, thanks so much for uh, being on the show. Uh, hey, so, thanks for having me on. I so, appreciate it. Oh, no problem. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Thank you. All right, folks, so it's contest time. We haven't had a contest in a long, long time here at This Board Game Life, so I figure it's about time 
This is uh, the episode where I talked about Gen Con, and one of the hottest games for me out of Gen Con, of course, was Doomtown. So it was a game that I was really looking forward to, and I snagged a copy. And you know what? You can get a copy for yourself as well on this board game life. So this contest is going to be really easy to enter. All you have to do is go to thisboardgamelife.com slash for forward slash doomtown. So that's thisboardgamelife.com forward slash doomtown. And there you're going to have the entry page. You can also find it in the menu up on top. So you can go to the main page and just hit the doomtown uh, menu object. And then that'll take you there. You fill out the form, put your name in there, uh, your email address, your BGG username. Uh, You can also put in uh, where you're from. And then uh, the main entry point or main entry uh, piece there is going to be, I want to hear what you're really looking forward to in 2014 in terms of games that have not been released yet. So this could be something that's coming out in the next couple weeks, next couple months, something that's going to be released at Essen. I'd like to hear about it and uh, why you're looking forward to it. And then uh, if you put uh, a nice detailed uh, answer over there, you just spend a little bit of time. Uh, I'll read your entry uh, on the next episode or the episode following the closure of the contest. And the contest will end on September 30th at midnight, uh, 2014. I'll tally up uh, all of the entries and then uh, pick a lucky winner. Now, any information that you put in there will be deleted after the contest. I'm not collecting the information. It's only used purely for this contest. And uh, the email address, uh, of course, is very important because that's how I'm going to be contacting you. So uh, enter the contest uh, before the entry date. Uh, give me your information and hopefully you'll give a little bit of detailed information and it'll be a fun thing to read some of the entries on the next show. So good luck to everybody. Again, win a copy of Doomtown Reloaded from AEG. Uh, it could be yours free shipped to your door from this board game life. Just enter at thisboardgamelife.com forward slash Doomtown or just click Doomtown in the menu. Good luck to everybody that enters. Now let's get on with the games for this episode. I'm going to go through them um, a, a little bit quickly here because uh, this episode is going to be a little bit long with our uh, special guest in the Gen Con coverage. So I've picked um, three card games that I'm going to talk about here. The first one I had mentioned earlier, it's a game called Red 7 by Asmati Games. This was originally called Red and it's been been renamed recently uh, as Red 7. It's going to be released in 2014 uh, in a couple months here. So it'll be out uh, this fall, uh, possibly this winter. And um, it's by Asmati Games, designed by Carl Chudik and Chris Cieslik. Uh These are uh, uh, two guys uh, very popular with fans of Asmati. Carl has designed a whole bunch of games like uh, Innovation, uh, Impulse, uh, and Red, of course. And then uh, Chris, uh, he's uh, basically the man behind Asmati Games. And uh, it's a game for two to four players. Uh, plays in about five minutes, maybe a little bit more. Uh, listed ages are eight, nine and up. It's a card game. It's got some set collections, sort of hand management, sort of. Okay, this game is very hard to classify. Uh, basically, it's a game of cards 
where you're going to have 49 cards total in the game. Uh, you've got seven number or cards are numbered one through seven in seven different colors. Uh, these are the colors of the rainbow as it's listed. You get uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Now, whenever there's uh, colors in a card game, one thing that sticks high in my mind is, is this game colorblind friendly? Because I'm colorblind and I really struggle with some games, almost to the point of where they're not fun. Like for me, there's games like Bejeweled and such, those, uh, you know, pat- those color matching games on the mobile devices. I can't even play those. I mean, they are not fun whatsoever just because it's such a chore to, to play them. But uh, the colors on this game, they're actually not too bad. They're, they're decent. Lighting is very important. That's one thing that I'd figured out. Lighting is very important if you're colorblind or even if you're not colorblind. Some people really struggle with colors if the lighting is not very good. So make sure that you've got good lighting. And I think you might be okay unless you've got really bad colorblindness. Then you might struggle some regardless. Now, the game that I had gotten was a... Um, I guess you could call it like a pre-release or pre-production copy. They had some limited amounts of copies. I believe it was 50 copies a day that they were selling at Gen Con. Previously, this game had been uh, print and play, and the print and play is still available on BGG if you want to check this out. Uh, Definitely go on BGG and uh, get a copy of it because it's pretty easy to make, and it's a pretty cool game. But uh, they had... Uh, a bunch of copies for sale for $10 only. So I figured it was uh, pretty much like a, a win-win situation. It's cheap game and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's worth trying. And uh, I was very pleased with the quality of the game. It's, the cards are uh, very nice cards on a linen finish. They come in a little plastic uh, case. Uh, again, uh, this is probably not how the final production copy is going to be. But uh, it's it's a it's a decent uh, production uh, of the game altogether. Uh, definitely better than a print and play that I would have made. Uh, very cool thing about this game is that uh, at least this version is very small. Uh, actually, most of the games are in a very small footprint. Like this is just basically a deck of cards, so it's very transportable. You can play it just about anywhere. Uh, artwork on the game is very minimal, basically. You've got some cards with colors, big numbers on them, and a little bit of text. Um, I don't know what else I could say about that. And then you get a couple of reference cards as well, which have a color reference on one side and then an icon reference on the other side. Now, what's important about this game is that the cards themselves are ranked two different ways. So you have a numeric ranking from one through seven. Seven, of course, you know, being the highest number, one being the lowest number. And then there's also color rankings. So red is the highest value color, uh, followed by orange, then yellow, then green, then blue, then indigo. And then the lowest ranking color is violet. So what you wind up doing in, in various cases is, let's say, if there's, I don't know, two sevens, out there, there's a red and a green, then in order to compare which one is a higher value, you know, they're both seven, so the numerics don't count, but then you have to look at the colors. And in this case, the red would win out because red is the highest value color altogether. And then green is, you know, somewhere in the middle. 
Now, each of the cards also has a, um, I don't know what the best way to describe it is, it's like a, a text on it. So red has highest card wins, orange is most of one number wins, yellow is most of one color wins, green is most of or most even cards wins, blue is most different colors wins, indigo is most numbers in a row wins, and then violet is most cards below four. So uh, I'll explain what that all means in a little bit here. So uh, in gameplay, what you wind up doing is you take these cards and, of course, you shuffle them and you deal them out to everybody. Uh, Everybody gets a hand of cards and then one card in front of them. And it's a hand of uh, seven cards. So uh, what you basically do is you'll have uh, a card in front of you and then there's going to be a starting, um, I guess, action or game rule card uh, that's going to be on the table. It says uh, it's a red card, highest card wins. So at the end of your turn or at your turn, you can play one or two cards. Um, you can play a card down in front of you to add to the one that's already there. Or you can play one to change the game rules. So, for example, if in the beginning it's uh, red highest card wins, you could change it to green most even cards wins. And what you have to do is at the end of your turn, whatever the situation is, you have to be the winner of that turn. And what I mean by that is, um, let's say, let's say, well, let's say it's red. It's still red. Uh, which is uh, the initial color uh, for the game rule. It's highest card wins. So at the end of your turn, you better have the highest card on the table amongst all the different players. If you don't or if you can't do that or you can't change the rules to a rule that you can meet, then you're basically out. So... Uh, As you can see, the game doesn't go very long. It only takes a couple of turns before somebody gets knocked out. If you have only one person or two people playing, then, you know, somebody's going to be knocked out a lot quicker than if the game had continued, um, you know, with four people, because then it takes more people to get knocked out. Uh, And it's a very simple game. The rules are extremely simple. In fact, they only give you a two page uh, rule. I'm not even going to call it a, a rule book or instruction manual. It's literally just a sheet of paper folded a couple of times. And uh, it, it's, there's not much to say about this game. It's a very simple, uh, very simple game. However, that can be deceiving because there's actually a lot of thought and a lot of planning that has to go into this game because you're not only necessarily just playing for then and there, but you're trying to set yourself up. So for example, if highest card wins is the thing right now, you might need to place a color down um, of a different color to match a rule later on that you'll have to play. And I I don't know if that really made sense without playing the game and and knowing what I'm talking about, but you have to uh, situate yourself so that in the future you're not you're not knocked out immediately. So you have a bit of pre-planning to do, and uh, that's what makes this game so cool. 
It's extremely simple, but it's actually a lot of fun and in a lot of ways very satisfying for a little filler game. I'd really classify this as sort of like a, um, it's like a mentally uh, challenge, mentally challenging. It's uh, not really brain burnery, but it's a game that will definitely make you think and consider what you're doing, but it's in a small form factor and it plays quick. So it's awesome to play at the beginning of the night while you're waiting for people for the game from the game group to get there, or it's really cool to play at the end of the night where you're kind of done playing the big heavy games and you just want to play something quick, small, light. And uh, this game definitely, definitely fits the bill. So basically you have your, hand of cards you play until you get knocked out last person standing uh, essentially wins and then hey reshuffle and play again Uh, this game is definitely fun the tough decisions that you're going to be making as to what you're going to be planning for the future and what you're going to be doing now um, they're they're definitely not always easy decisions but but it's fun it's a small game with decent depth Uh, only con i can think about this game is that you know, if, if you want a production quality version of this game, you're going to have to wait a little bit. You're going to have to wait a couple of months for it to be available. But hey, you can get on BGG and get a copy now. And just if you print it out and sleeve it, that's how easy it is to get it. So um, definitely check it out. It's a fun game. I definitely recommend it. I'm excited uh, to play it. And I'm glad I got it at uh, Gen Con and, uh, I hope to see this game out in production soon. So that was Red 7 by Asmati Games, previously known as Red. Next up is Chimera. This is a game uh, released in 2014 at Gen Con, of course, uh, by Z-Man Games, designed by Ralph Anderson. This is a three-player only game. Uh, it's a trick-taking game, which is kind of unusual that it's three-player only, because, you know, games like Teach You, I guess, are four-player games. This is a three-player game, and uh, it plays in about 45 minutes, which I think is right about on, and uh, it plays, uh, I don't know, 13 and up is what it's listed. Um, I suppose younger kids could possibly maybe play it, but uh, a sure bet, I guess, is is thirteen, since uh, that seems to be everybody's uh, sure bet in, ter- in terms of companies with their games. It's a card game, uh, hand management, trick taking, a uh, pretty basic there. And uh, what's uh, different about this game in comparison to games like Teach You is that again, it's a three player game where basically two players kind of gang up on the other player. Uh, the game is, uh, it has a 54 card deck. It's basically got uh, uh, four different uh, ranks, uh, one through 12. So basically four different suits. Uh, there's a bunch of heroes and then a pie card and a chimera card. Uh, so that's uh, a one through 12 ranks, four heroes, a pie and a chimera card. So a chimera card is the card that outranks all all other cards in a single fashion. So it's higher than a 12, higher than every card. Then uh, the uh, pie card, uh, it outranks all other single cards except the chimera. And it can be used to substitute for any card one through 12 in a, to assist making a straight. 
So for example, you can do like uh, three, four, five, pi seven, right? Yeah, three, four, five, pi seven. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just want to make sure there. Then uh, heroes, which uh, they're higher than the one through 12 cards, but they have no numerical value, so they can't be used in straights or any uh, ranked sequences. And then, of course, you've got the base cards, which are 1 through 12. So you start off the game by dealing twelve or 17 cards to each player. That pretty much splits up the entire deck. And then uh, people start bidding. Uh, you're going to be bidding uh, basically in a couple of different uh, things that you can bid on. You can pass, you can bid 20 points, 30 points, or 40 points. And the goal of the game is to finish with 400 points. So the first person to hit 400 is the winner. Now, when you bid, the person who bids the highest, uh, they basically uh, will then become the chimera. And uh, they'll be ganged up on by the other two players. So uh, there's also three cards in the middle of the table that they get. So uh, that's kind of like a little bit of, um, you know, evening out of the game, I guess. So two people are going to be going uh, against you. And then you get uh, three additional cards, which they don't get. So you have 20 cards. They have 17 each. In the game, you're looking to basically uh, get rid of your entire hand, all the cards that you have. And um, you're looking to do uh, a bunch of different card combinations. So you can do a single card. Uh, if the uh, if a person plays, let's say, like a two, you know, like uh, like most of those trick-taking games, so the next player has to play a single card higher than a two uh, all the way around up until, you know, you can't do that anymore. And then the legal combinations are a single card, easy enough. There's a pair. Then there's a sequence of at least three pairs. So that's three pairs total. There's a, a triplet, as you call it. So that's three of the same card. There's a sequence of at least uh, two triplets, or I'm sorry, a sequence of at least two sets of triplets. So you have to have, uh, let's say, uh, three fours followed by three fives. So they have to be in sequence. They have to be next to each other numerically. A uh, triplet with an extra card, a triplet with an attached pair, so it's a triple and a pair, a sequence of triplets with an attached card each. So these are uh, triplets, again, that have to be next to each other, like two, uh, three fives and three sixes, and then each of those can have an extra card. doesn't matter what the card is. So total, you're dumping six cards altogether. There's a sequence of triplets with an attached pair each, very similar to what I just said. There's a straight, which is five or more cards in sequence. There's quad with two single attached cards. So that's four of the same card and then any two other cards. A quad with two attached pairs and uh, a trap, which is four of a kind, and a chimera flight. A chimera flight is a chimera card and a pie. So those are the different uh, combinations that you can play and uh, you know, basically you play and then the next person has to play the same kind of, of uh, card combination, just higher in some sort. So if you play uh, three threes, they have to play three of something higher than threes easy enough. And then uh, you can use heroes. You can use 
the Chimera and all those other cards that I had mentioned. Uh, once uh, everybody, uh, or actually once two players get out, uh, it's scored. And scoring is uh, interesting because scoring is done based on who goes out. So if the Chimera player plays their cards out first, they get double the amount of whatever they bid. So 20, 30, 40 points, whatever it is, plus an additional 25 points bonus. And then you get uh, some bonuses for the cards. If the, um, so the other, the two other characters are called the hunters. So you've got the hunters and the chimera. If the hunters go out, the chimera loses points equal to the bid. So, you know, that kind of stinks for the chimera. Uh, and the chimera doesn't get any bonus. And then all players score based on uh, eight treasure cards that they have and, um, and such. So you keep basically repeating this process up until somebody gets uh, 400 points and then they are the winner. Now, when I was playing this game, wow, I took a lot of gambles and I think my gambles basically didn't play out every single time. So I started off strong and then uh, I just got overtaken and I got crushed. It just, uh, that was not one of those days where I could uh, take gambles and have them work out for me and, and secure a victory. So that was just an interesting situation, but uh, I enjoyed the game. Um, it, I, I like the game enough where I actually wish it didn't require a three player requirement just because, uh, you know, it's a little tough sometimes to get three-player games to the table. I've said this before. If you, like, uh, I play a lot of two-player games, and I play a lot of four-player or higher games. Three is just kind of a, a weird combination. So if you're at a game group and you got four people, you can't play a three-player game. You have to have a lot more people where you can break off and play your three-player game. But uh, still, yeah, this is one of those cool three-player games Um and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It's coming in a, a new package from Z-Man Games. This is a different style card box. It's a little bit bigger than a lot of their old, like, Tichu style boxes, Saboteur and such. And um, it's probably, I don't know, about uh, 250 or two and a half times bigger. I was going to say 250%, but I may as well say two and a half times. It's about two and a half times bigger than uh, the old Z-Man uh, boxes. Uh, however, what's odd about this game is that, uh, there's only like 50 some cards. So they have two wells in the insert for cards and the card deck doesn't even fill up one of them. So I don't know what that says. Maybe they'll have expansions. I don't know about that. I'm just kind of guessing there, but, uh, it's just really strange that they would have all that extra space, uh, for this game in the box. And then uh, they also give you a pretty cool little score pad so you can keep track of score between all the different rounds. Um, the game's pretty easy to understand. The rule book is really nice. It's printed on some really thick, um, I don't know if it's really cardstock or, or what it is, but it's printed on really nice paper. Um, it's very sturdy. Uh, there's uh, a fair amount of good information in there, good examples. And uh, the game, no issues with color blindness. Uh, with this game in particular, although I kept having to, re actually this has nothing to do with the colorblindness, I'm just talking about the rules here, I did have to keep referring to the book to uh, just kind of uh, keep track of what the different 
combinations were because initially those are a little tough to remember. At least they were for me. Uh, so again, goal of the game, uh, just basically, uh, keep playing, uh, turns up until the, somebody gets 400 points and then, um, I don't know, maybe play again. So, uh, I definitely recommend this game to folks that have, uh, that really like trick taking games. So if you like teach you, if you like haggis and, and the such, definitely look into this game. It's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, negatives again uh just that it's three player not that that's bad it's just for me i don't know about everybody else but for me that's just an odd combination it's a little tougher to get three player games or three player only games to the table uh definitely check this game out i give this one a a definite thumbs up then the final game for this show is going to be diamonds this is another 2014 release at gen con uh, from Stronghold Games. It was designed by Mike Fitzgerald. Plays two to six players in about 30 minutes or so, ages eight and up, and I'd probably say that's pretty right on, So I think uh, younger kids can probably get into this game. Uh, this is a card game, uh, so a card game plus, sort of, because it's got uh, some cool, nifty little elements to it. It's a trick-taking game, and uh, let me tell you what it's all about. So, uh this game is a little bit different than uh, most trick-taking games because it's got an extra element to it of a vault and uh, gems, diamonds. Every player has a player screen in front of them with a picture of like a bank vault on the front of it. And uh, the space in front of this screen is called a showroom. The space behind it, or hidden behind the screen, is called the vault. And you're going to be taking Uh, diamond crystals, which are your typical little plastic uh, crystals used in a lot of games. There's uh, clear ones and there's red ones. The red ones are five and the the clear ones are ones. And uh, you're going to be doing various things depending on what happens uh, with your cards. You're going to be doing various actions such as you're going to be taking uh, uh, one point from the supply and putting it in your vault. So it's behind your screen You're going to take one point from the supply and put it in front of your vault into the showroom. Uh, You're going to take one point from your, from uh, your showroom and place it in your vault. And then uh, taking one point from another player's showroom and put it into your showroom. So there you have how you move the the diamond crystals around the board uh, or not around the board or around the play area. So you can take them from the supply, put them in front, steal other, uh, persons uh, or other players uh, diamonds from in front of their uh, vault, put them in front of yours. Hey, they could steal it back right then and there if they so wanted. The only time that the diamonds are really safe is I guess when they're inside your vault because uh, once they're in there, people can't get them. The cards in this game are uh, basically four suits. You've got diamonds, hearts, spades, and clubs. Uh, that's your you know typical suits, I guess. And uh, there's 60 cards all together, uh, numbered 1 through 15. So it's a little bit more than your standard, uh, you know, play deck. Somebody becomes the dealer, and then they're going to deal out 10 cards to each player out of the 60. So uh, there's going to be some cards that uh, probably won't be used in the game. Like in a three-player game, you're only going to use 30 of the 60 cards. The rest aren't used in that particular round. And uh, at that point, the dealer 
uh, decides how many cards are going to be passed. It's not really drafting. You're just passing them uh, to uh, the uh, next person. So uh, the dealer can decide to pass one, two, or three cards uh, after looking at their uh, particular hand. I guess that's, you know, they decide how many they want to get rid of or whatnot, and they pass the cards to the left. And uh, at that point, uh, gameplay begins. Now, to begin the game, the person to the left of the dealer uh, basically plays a card to the table, and you have to follow suit. So it goes around the table to the left, and uh, you have to follow suit. So if somebody plays, you know, three of diamonds, then uh, if, if you've got a diamonds card, you have to play it. So you have to follow the suit. And uh, if you don't have a diamond, for example, uh, in, in this what I just mentioned there, then uh, you can play any other card and you immediately get that action. So I had mentioned a bunch of the actions previously about moving diamonds around, um, you know, to the vault, to the showroom and such. So when you play a card uh, that is not part of uh, the suits that are played to the table, you immediately get that action. So again, if, uh, you know, let's say three of diamond was played and I play a heart, a heart uh, lets me move, from supply to my showroom. And basically it's diamond, uh, supply to vault, hearts is supply to showroom, spades is showroom to vault, and clubs are from another player's showroom to your showroom. So that's the one that where you kind of steal stuff. And then um, once uh, the play goes all the way around, whoever uh, gets the highest card for that particular uh, uh, turn, uh, they win the trick. And they get the um, action of the card that uh, led that. So, you know, again, if it was diamonds, if this three of diamonds uh, led it, then you get to take uh, from the supply and put it into your vault. So then uh, those cards are cleared and uh, the person that won gets them. And then, hey, you start all over. The person that won that last trick, uh, they get to place the uh, next card. They, they get to start the next round. So basically it continues like this up until all 10 tricks have been played. Basically you're out of all, everybody's out of cards. Uh, then that particular round is over. Once the round is over, there's still more that happens. You go through and you count all your cards. The person who took the most diamond cards um, from winning the tricks, they get the diamond action. Person who gets the most hearts, they get the heart action, and so forth. And then uh, the person who did not win any tricks at all during the round, they get two diamond suit actions, which is take from the supply and put it into your vault. So uh, you basically uh, play this a uh, certain number of rounds. So for a two-player game, you play four rounds. Three-player, you play six rounds. And uh, you just count up the points. Points are counted uh, like this. So each point in diamond crystals in your vault is worth two points. And then points outside of your vault in your showroom are worth one point. The person with the most uh, points wins. Uh, how simple is that? So uh, uh, that's pretty much the gist of diamonds. Uh, again, this is another fairly quick, uh, entertaining little uh, trick-taking game it's different than uh, just about any other one just because of the whole diamond element where 
you're going to be, you know, moving them from the showroom to your, I'm sorry, from the supplier to the showroom, showroom, the vault, you're going to be taking them from other people's showrooms. People are going to be taking yours. Uh, You just need to get them into your vault as soon as you can. And that can really influence what cards you're going to play is, uh, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of diamonds out in front in your showroom, you know, they're only worth half the points of if they're in the vault, they're only worth one point instead of two. And if you got a lot of them, they're exposed. People can take them from you. So this is not just a, you know, a plain little trick taking game. It's got that little extra element that uh, makes the game just a little more interesting. It doesn't really complicate it all too much. And it's simple enough that I think, uh, you know, the whole family can enjoy this game. And this was kind of a hit over at, uh, over at Gen Con, it, it sold out, I believe, uh, on the first or second day. And, uh, it's kind of surprising for a little card game because usually you think of the big titles really sell out, you know, like the, um, you know, Imperial Settlers and such, but here's this cool little game that, uh, definitely surprised me. I was definitely glad I got it. Initially I was kind of on the fence, but I'm definitely, definitely glad I got it. Uh, box size for what you get in the game, the box does seem a little bit large, but when you look at what's inside the box, it's, um, you know, it's fitting because the gems take up a fair amount of space. You got the player screens, you got the cards themselves. Uh, it's Everything's kind of free floating inside the box. There is no insert, which I guess is okay, uh, especially if you like to make your own. You can just make your own. But uh, uh, I, I was definitely, definitely pleasantly surprised with the game. There weren't any real uh, color blindness issues with this. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, one through 15, four different suits. Colors really don't matter. Well, I guess except the gems, there's clear and red. So even colorblind folks like myself don't have much issue with that. The rules are really well done. They give uh, a nice explanation. There are some variants at the back of the at the back of the manual for different uh, player counts. Um, I'd have to give uh, this game another thumbs up. I definitely, definitely did enjoy it. Uh, it's a game that you can play with the whole family, which is a, a big plus. I can't see any real cons for this game. Um, it's just a, a really well done game. Mike did a fantastic job with this, and I'm really glad that Stronghold uh, published this game for us. So definitely check this game out uh, if you can. I think you'll enjoy it. It's probably best suited. Uh, I don't know if it's really a filler game because it does take a little while to play, but it definitely is a later game, again, that uh, you can play at the beginning of a game night, you know, just to kind of, you know, get rolling. And uh, it supports up to six players, which is fairly decent. So if you have a game group over, you can play pretty much with everybody. You know, you're not going to have somebody waiting it out or have to break off into their own little group. So again, uh, Diamonds, definitely give it a thumbs up. Definitely check it out. So there you have it. That's it for episode 35. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll give you a quick little rundown of the games that I talked about. I talked about Red 7. This is a game that I really did enjoy. It was kind of like one of those hidden gems, uh, I feel, that I found over at uh, Gen Con because everybody that I showed it to didn't really know much about it and they're like oh this thing's pretty cool and uh, they definitely had a good time playing Uh, I'm excited to see that it's going to be published uh, in the next couple months here so definitely look for it it's a fairly inexpensive game it's probably going to be like 10-15 dollars and 
you can uh, check it out. There's a, a print and play version available on BGG. And uh, definitely check that out. Chimera is a game by Z-Man Games. This is a trick-taking game for three players only. Uh, definitely a, a fun game if you like Tichu and the like. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, my only thing that I could say negatively against it is is that it's a three-player game. And for me, it's sometimes a little tough to get a three-player game to the table. But uh, otherwise, other than that, it's it's a really fun little game. Uh, and then uh, lastly, Diamonds. Uh, Diamonds is uh, another trick-taking game, a nice little twist with the diamonds uh, that makes the game a little interesting. And the diamonds that you have and what you want to do with them, it can really influence what your card you're going to want to play. So uh, it's a nice little twist on your typical trick-taking game where you're just playing with cards. Again, uh, this is another game that uh, I definitely give a thumbs up and I recommend. So three really cool these are three really cool games that I found over at Gen Con, and I really recommend them. Uh, definitely check them out. Uh, they're cheap, they're small, they're portable, uh, and they're fun, which is most important of all. So that's about it for the show. Uh, make sure to follow this board game life on Twitter, which is at uh, T Board Game Life. Again, that's at T Board Game Life. Uh, we also have a guild on BGG. Uh, just uh, search for us uh, on BGG and you'll find the guild. Uh, make some comments on the shows and I post information on videos out there as well that I do. And then uh, uh, there's also a YouTube page where I'm posting uh, videos. I've got, uh, I was uh, having some trouble with the audio and the video. I guess it wasn't really super much trouble, but uh, it just wasn't quite up to the quality that I thought was acceptable. I'm very critical of some of the stuff sometimes. So I've been tweaking that and, uh, I think it's uh, a lot better now than what I've done in the past. A lot sharper sounds a lot better. So, uh, I'm going to have some uh, videos redone and some new content up there fairly quickly. So that's, uh, this, your youtube.com slash this board game life. So that's youtube.com slash this board game life. I'd love to hear your feedback what you thought of the show, any comments, questions, or anything about what I talked about, uh, definitely uh, send them to me either on BGG at uh, Armilanov or also you can uh, use the contact form at uh, thisboardgamelife.com, which is now working. It had a little bit of a, a trouble. The emails were getting blocked by our hosting provider. So um, uh, the form should be working now properly. And of course... There's the contest. Enter the contest before September 30th to be eligible to be or to get a copy of Doomtown Reloaded from AEG. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you all on episode 36.